Good evening. I'd like to welcome uh, everybody that is tuning uh, in online and uh, thankful for everyone that can be here. Uh, Sally and Pam, uh, we're praying for you. Uh, we are going to be diving into a message titled, uh, The Things That I'd Wish I Had Known. Uh, now, uh, I've, been, I've been asked a couple times to kind of put a study like this together and really what the contents of what we're diving in tonight are the things, um, uh, I would just call them tools, best practices, um, and I guess tactics to help you as you're studying the Word. And the way I'm approaching it is, um, you know, a little bit about my story. I, when I became a believer, I kind of just jumped headfirst into um, the Bible without even thinking twice about anything. And some of the things that I want to touch on tonight are things that I wish someone would have told me in the beginning, which I think would have saved me about 10 years of heartache, okay? Um, So that's kind of what we're going to dive into tonight's message. So I want to talk about the right book, tools, best practices, the Bible as a timeline, and the key to unlocking the scriptures as you're studying God's Word. So the first thing that we got to talk about is, and this is what I wish... I would have known. I wish that someone would have told me that not all Bibles say the same thing. Okay, that's, that's the first thing I wish someone would have told me. Um, because they don't. They all don't say the same thing. Uh, if you really want to get serious about studying the Word of God, you're going to have to get the right book. And I'm going to tell you straight up right now, the authorized King James Bible, if you want the perfect, pure, and preserved Word of God in English, you're going to have to get that book. And um, I get asked a lot, Alex, where do you get your Bible? I've noticed that you have spots where you can take notes. Uh, I go to localchurchbiblepublisher.com, and in the search bar, I search note taker, and then there's four options for you to choose, and um, that's where I got my Bible, um, where it allows me to have plenty of space where I can write notes on the sides, which is great. There's no footnotes, there's no cross-references, it's just straight up the Word of God, and now I can now begin to write my own notes and stuff and cross-references. So, first thing is getting the right book, and if you don't, if you want something free, we live in 2019, guess what? There's plenty of apps available free apps that you can download. And one that I, I highly recommend, I use a, quite a few, but uh, just for uh, using when I'm on my phone, when I'm traveling on the road, uh, the Holy Bible King James Plus Audio is a great free app that's available. And you can also, I, I love it using it when I'm on the road, when I'm driving. That's all right. I guess I could turn it on. I can't reach back there. I'm going to turn on the light, folks, real quick. Maybe that might help. Um, So that's a great app. Um, But I I strongly recommend you get a hard copy. Why? Because batteries die. And if you remember one study where David was here, (laughs) we called on David to read a scripture verse, and his tablet died. So he couldn't read the Bible verse. So it's really important to have a hard copy. There's something about having a hard copy where you can open, you can make notes and whatnot. Um, 
Another option is you might have one laying around from your grandparents or your great-grandparents. That's another free option. And if you can't find one, go online. You can find one for 10 bucks. Better yet, go to a thrift store. I guarantee you can find one there for $3. Um, so countless times in the Word of God, God instructs, add not to the words, take away not from the words, diminish not, don't change the words or water them down. So uh, I strongly recommend if you're going to get into this and you really want something to back it up, Google new eye-opener Bible believers. And that's a study where it'll show you all the words that a lot of the modern translations take out, add, and change. And you can see the bit, it's complete, it's a reason why it's called new eye-opener. Because there's over 5,000 omissions, changes, and whatnot to God's Word. So, um, right book, right? Authorized King James Bibles, point number one. Point number two, these are the tools and best practices that I use when I'm studying. So, I learned uh, to ditch the highlighter. <laughs> ditch the highlighter. The reason why is because it bleeds through the pages and... Might as well highlight the whole entire Bible because that's essentially what I did. Um, so what I do is I use a Pigma Micron 01 pen. It is a fabric pen that doesn't bleed through the pages. Uh, it's a great pen, and you might not be able to see it, but what I do rather than highlighting is I will bold some of the scripture verses and the key words that really pop out to me whenever I'm studying. And every time I read, I just will highlight those things. It really helps, number one, for memory, for my, my mind to kind of grab a hold of what the Scripture is, and it kind of helps solidify some of that Scripture in my heart and in my mind. So that's a really great uh, practice to do. And another thing that I like to use, uh, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. So I like to use like a, if you could have a ruler or just, you know, plastic, like a gift card or something, you can have straight, clean lines underneath. You're not trying to get, because before I did it, I'd just get lines all over and it just looked horrible. But I just started using like a little gift card to underline keywords and things when I'm reading and studying and it really popped out to me. Um, and the last bit of tools to use, like I said, we live in 2019. The technology at our fingertips is incredible, and we have tools that Joey, Obed, you guys did not have available during your days, you know, my age. So I, I, have, I have four apps that I use on my phone or tablet. Uh, number one is the Holy Bible app. I use that Bible app purely for comparing the translations. So I can go to any scripture verse, I can go to uh, Romans 6, chapter 2, and I can click it, and then I can select all of the translations and I can see what the different ones say. I just do that because I like to see the differences and the changes that are being made. Uh, number two app I use is the one I mentioned earlier, the Holy Bible King James Plus Audio app. I use this for two reasons. One, I can do a word search, and it shows me every single verse in the Bible that says grace or mercy or hell or whatever it is. And I can now do word studies. Word studies are really good uh, practice because uh, you get, the Word of God really helps you explain the Word of God when you do those word studies. So I recommend doing studies like pick a topic like glory. Study glory. And it's an amazing study. Uh, so... That app's good for word searches, and it's also great for the audio part. 
So I really strongly encourage memorizing Scripture. So the beauty of this app is I can select that verse, hit play, and it'll just repeat while I'm driving in my car until I've got that complete verse memorized. Uh, so that's a great, great tool. The third app I use is 1828. 1828, it is the Noah Webster's Dictionary. It's essentially the Bible for the English language. And it gives you the exact meaning of every single word in your King James Bible. A great, great app. Anytime you come across a word like concupiscence or <laughs> whatever words in there that might be difficult to understand, that's part of studying, is it not? We need to do our work and figure out, all right, what does this word mean and how does it apply in this verse? And then the last app I use is called the Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible, you can search BLB. This is the interlinear Bible concordance where you can actually go and check out the Greek and Hebrew Hebrew word if you want. Um, So all of those are great apps. Now... Let's dive into the next bullet point three, which I wish I would have known. I wish someone would have told me how my Bible is laid out. And um, what I'm going to do is we're going to be looking at some... I want you to understand that when you look at the Bible, when we, when we open and look at this, at we have the complete revelation of God. It's It's finished. God has spoken every single word that He wants us to know. It's been written down. And everything that God said in His word, He's going to accomplish. But the thing you need to keep in mind is that when you're reading the the Bible, it wasn't like Genesis was written and you knew everything that was coming afterwards. God revealed bodies of truth over time, but we happen to live in 2019 where all of it's been revealed. So we are essentially opening up at a time capsule when we open up God's Word. And you need to realize that when you read Genesis, all that was known at that time was the stuff that was written in Genesis through uh, the first five of the books with Moses. And so... You need to keep that in mind whenever you're reading the scriptures, that God was doing things and operating in this time frame. And as we progress through time, God's dealings with man changed gradually. And so uh, I'm going to lay it out in a way that is very, I think, the easiest, the only way I can break it down. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 5, and then uh, we'll be reading a few verses in here. So your Bible is laid out. In a timeline, okay? And it's not in perfect chronological order, but there is a complete design that God had for His Word, and it's perfectly laid out the way He intended it to be. So, uh, we're going to be reading in Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Paul, speaking, writes, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So we have Adam, first man, right? And it says, death reigned, and death by sin, from Adam to Moses. So we got Adam, then we got Moses. So sin entered the world, right? Through Adam. So at this time frame, it's just sin. And death was reigning by sin and was being passed down upon men. Let's read Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Moreover, 
the law entered, that the offense might abound, but where sin abound, grace did much more abound. So, we have the law entering in from Moses. So, we could pretty much just summarize the Old Testament right there. And it goes all the way to Malachi. So there's 39 books in your Old Testament. There's 27 in the New Testament. So when we get to the New Testament, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm just going to... This isn't looking pretty. Malachi. Think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's see what John... Chapter 1, verse 17 says, John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace... And truth came by Jesus Christ. So here we have Jesus Christ. Grace and truth enters. But the grace of God does not come until the Apostle Paul. So you have to keep in mind when you're reading in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus was still living under the law. And Paul explains this in Galatians. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, notice in verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made... What are the next three words? Under the law. So, Jesus Christ was living under the law in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's extremely important. So... We don't have to, I don't have time to dive into the law, but essentially the law is works. You, God gave all these commands. Don't break them. Keep them. If you break them, guess what? There's a penalty for it. Paul explains the penalty of sin is death. That's why Christ had to come in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, be made under the law, live out the 613 laws in it perfectly, and die a sinful death on the cross, taking our place, which we deserved, fulfilling the will of God for us, being buried and then risen up by God the Father the third day for our justification. So, grace and truth entered through Jesus Christ. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, or chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and let's read the first two verses. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me to you word. So we have Paul here, and this is... He he was the last to be seen of all the apostles. He was actually, all of his letters, 13 epistles that he wrote, 
completed the full Word of God that we have today, but he said he was given the dispensation of the grace of God, meaning God is dispensing grace. Grace of God. And these things contain the contents of the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret, hidden God before the foundation of the world. So, when you read his epistles, Romans through Philemon, this is where we get grace living and how we're supposed to live in the dispensation of the grace of God. The last part that we got to address is, and I'm going to just take this out because this was a body of truth that was kept secret. Um, the last piece that we got to address is the kingdom. Now we're going to go back to the Old Testament. I want to go to Daniel, the prophet Daniel. And we're going to go to Daniel chapter 2. Um, in Daniel 2, this is the chapter where the king Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Babylon had this dream that was bothering him. And, and I'm not going to read through the whole thing. But I'm going to read this, the summary of what the dream was and what God is going to do one day here on the earth. And we're going to Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So the last piece that I'm going to put here is I'm just going to put the kingdom. What is a kingdom? Place on earth. It's a place on earth. And what does a kingdom require? A king. It requires a king. So it is God establishing his kingdom here on earth. Now, when you're back here in the Old Testament, all of the prophets were talking about this kingdom. That's what they were looking for. That's what the, the, uh, the twelve that Jesus Christ set forth. Told them you're going to be the twelve apostles. are going to sit on the twelve tribes, the twelve thrones, and judge the twelve tribes of Israel. What they were looking for was that kingdom. And when you get to the book of Acts, you can see that that's what they were expecting. After the resurrection, after Christ was buried and resurrected... He came back down for 40 days and dwelt among the believers. And they asked Him, Lord, will Thou this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were waiting for this kingdom. But something happened. It didn't come. You get to Acts 7. You see the stoning of Stephen and uh, the fall of Israel. At that point, they, they fully, the children of Israel, they rejected God to be their king over them in the Old Testament. Their own received Him not, their religious leaders convinced even the people to crucify their king. That's why He was called the King of the Jews. And then at uh, the stoning of Stephen, they resisted the Holy Ghost. So they rejected God the Father, they rejected God the Son, they rejected uh, God the Holy Ghost. And then right after that, in Acts 9, is where you see Paul get saved. And... God saying, you know what, this is my chosen vessel that I'm going to send to the nations, everybody else. So, um, it's important to understand 
just the way the Bible's laid out and where you're at in the scriptures. So, uh, the kingdom is going to be a thousand years reign. So let's go to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. We're going to be reading verses 2 through 6. And he lay hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should not deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them which were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, and on the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Let's go back to Joel chapter 2. What we're reading is nothing new. This was prophesied beforehand by the prophet Joel. And in Joel chapter 2... Get there. In Joel chapter 2, verse 25, and this is the Lord speaking, and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palm worm, my great army which I sent among you. So there were. Basically, we read Daniel 2 earlier, right? And I was telling you about the dream. Well, the dreams explain. And you've got to realize that there were four kingdoms, five kingdoms that were to be established. First one was the Babylonian Empire, King Babylon. They ruled over the whole earth. Then you had the Medes and the Persians that took over and consumed the Babylonian Empire. Then you had... The Greeks, Alexander the Great, conquered Xerxes and the Medes and Persians. And then Caesar conquered the Greeks. Right? This is history. This was all prophesied before it all happened. And then when you get... Isn't it interesting that after, you know, the first book that Paul wrote was the book of Romans. That was the last empire. They were expecting that last kingdom to come in, which is going to be the kingdom of the Antichrist. But it didn't happen. That's the last part that's going to happen. It's going to continue with the timetable, this prophetic timetable. We're living in what is called the dispensation of the grace of God. This is a secret. You know, this stuff that we're living in is a mystery. So, um, it's important to understand that all these books, the majority that you're seeing in blue, is all about God's plan to bring restoration to the earth. That's what God's plan is. 80% of the books in your Bible are dealing with the children of Israel and God's will for the earth. The other 20%, those 13 books, is dealing with God's plan to bringing restoration to heaven, the place where Satan fell. Satan sinned. He sinned before Adam and Eve. So God's, the, this whole entire Bible truly is about Two things. God's plan for restoration for the heaven and the earth. What's the first verse of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heaven 
and the earth. All right? So, um, I wish I, that, that someone would have told me the things, and I wish I would have known it, because, man, it would have saved me a lot of, a lot of pain and heartache, because what happened? I didn't know that. I would read things over here in the Old Testament. I'd see prophets prophesying over dry bones, and then out of nowhere, God rising up an army. And I'm thinking, oh man, am I supposed to pray this? Okay, I'm going to try and pray this. Uh, it's not working. Something's wrong. I think the book's broken. <laughs> you right? That's, that's where my mind was at. So, um, it's important to understand that God is going to come, and I mean God, Jesus Christ is coming back a second time, and He will reign here on the earth as King. Uh, go to Jeremiah while we're here. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment, judgment and justice in the... Where? Earth. 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 So, last thing that I want to address, let's go to Hebrews chapter 8. And this is all concerning the kingdom. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So, who is he making the covenant with? The house of Israel. This isn't the body of Christ. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be my people. So, over here in the kingdom, excuse me, God is going to put the law in their hearts and in their minds. And He's going to remember their sin no more. They're waiting for that atonement. It hasn't happened yet. The body of Christ, we've already now received that atonement as written in the book of Hebrews. So, I wish I would have known the way that the Bible was laid out as a timeline and understanding how it's laid out and what God is dealing with. That He's dealing with earth and He's dealing with heaven and that uh, when you get to Galatians 2.7, it makes complete sense why there's two Gospels. One's dealing with earth, the Gospel of the circumcision that was introduced through, a uh, through Abraham, and the Gospel of the uncircumcision, those who were cut off, aliens, all the rest of the other nations. Because you had, over here, you had to go through the nation Israel to get to God. Today, we just go through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. There's, no, there's only one mediator between man and God. And it's the man, Jesus Christ. So, the key to unlocking the Scriptures, this is point number four. The key to unlocking the Scriptures is 2 Timothy 2.15. Let's go there. The only place in your Bible where the Lord instructs how to study His Word. And in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, it says... Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, the first thing is you study. Study takes work, right? Who you're showing to prove yourself to? God. You're not studying to prove anybody else, prove yourself to anybody else but the Lord. It's just you and the Lord. 
A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So rightly dividing is just separating truth from truth. There is a doctrine of truth here in Paul's epistles. All of it is the word of God. All of it is true. There is doctrine throughout the rest of the Bible, from Genesis through Acts and from Hebrews to Revelation. That is all words of truth. And God means exactly what He says, where He says it, to whom He says it to. So, I want to give you just, I got seven guidelines that I, that I think are really important. I wish someone would have told me this. I wish I would have known this. The guidelines is this. Number one, the Bible means exactly what it says, where it says it, to whom it says it to. In other words, believe what you read, where you read it. Just be aware at where you're in the Scriptures. So when you get over here into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus tells the man who wants to be perfect, sell everything and you have and give to the poor, that's, that'll be perfect. He meant that. Because I've heard people say, oh, it's the heart. He was just talking about the heart. Really? Because when I get to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, they were literally laying everything that they had at the twelve's feet. They were literally selling everything they had and gave to the poor. He meant what he said. And um, so it's important that you, you understand where you're at in the Scriptures and what's being said. So here, Genesis through Acts, Hebrews through Revelation, God is speaking to the children of Israel. That's what He's speaking truth to the children of Israel. When you get to Romans through Philemon, He's speaking to everybody today. Anyone that's trusted the gospel of Christ, how that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. When you believe that Christ died for your sins, you're saved, and you are baptized into the body of Christ. Buried with Him, baptism, raised with Him also. So, point number two would be, things that are different are not the same. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we'll be reading verses 9 and 10. And Paul writes, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So that word excellent is talking about things that defer. Right? So things that are different are not the same. The body of Christ and well, the children of Israel and the body of Christ, they're not the same thing. The lost sheep of the house of Israel, the body of Christ, they're not the same thing. Let's just take... Um, I want to hit on forgiveness. When you're over here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus taught the twelve, if you forgive men's sins, your Father in heaven will forgive you. If you forgive not men their sins... Your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Did he mean what he said? What he said there? Absolutely. Peter asked him, Lord, uh, how many times do we need to forgive him? Seven times? Because he is quoting Proverbs, you know, uh, seven, you know, righteous man will fall down seven times and get back up. And Christ said, yeah, 77 times. He meant that. If you don't forgive men's sins, God won't forgive you of your sins. Is that true for today? No. No, God already forgave you of all your sins. That's why when Paul writes in the book of Ephesians that we should forgive others, even as God hath for Christ's sake forgiven you. 
You've already been forgiven. And I just want to talk about this. You know, it's amazing to me when you really think about the love of Christ and how He forgave you, laid down His life for your sins when you were wrong. Why is it so hard for us whenever someone, a friend, a family member, or whoever wrongs us, that we feel like we've got to just have our dukes up and say, you know what? You wronged me, you sinned against me, and I'm just, I'm going to hold on to this. Forget you, right? Isn't that interesting? No. Paul says, look, even as God has forgiven you, think about it. Think about all your dirt and everything that you've done wrong to God. (laughs) He's forgiven you and wiped it clean. We ought to do the same for each other. And it's really sad because there's, man, it's brutal out there. So um, that's big. Point number three. All the Bible is for our learning, but we get our doctrine from Paul's epistles. So let's go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. So we're in Paul's epistles. And what does Paul say in Romans 15 verse 4? He says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So he's saying all these things over here, written aforetime, they're for our learning. You should know. You should read all of the Bible. You really should have a full understanding, not just here in Paul's epistles, Romans 2, Philemon. Yes, you need to know this. Be established. But if you want to have a full knowledge and a full, understand the full counsel of God, you need to know the whole Bible. Um, so, all, thing, the, all things that are written aforetime are written for our learning. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. Chapter 3, and we'll go to verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture. So this is the whole Bible here now. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, throughly furnished unto all good works. So all Scripture is... Given by inspiration to God, God spoke all these words. Holy men of God were spake or as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, Peter quotes. And so, doctrine, where do we get it? We get it from Paul. But we can learn about reproof and correction and instructions and in righteousness throughout all of the Bible. Okay? So, that's point number three. All the Bible's for our learning, but we get our doctrine from Paul's epistles. Now, Paul wrote 13 epistles, and this is important for you to understand, and that his epistles contain the contents of the revelation of the mystery of God, which was kept secret before the world began. And uh, his contents also contain the mystery of Christ. Now, it's important for you to understand that Paul did not write the book of Hebrews. All right, And I'm going to show you why he didn't. So, let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's turn to the left. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And notice verse 17. Paul writes, The salutation of Paul. So, Paul's signature, his name. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is a token in every epistle, so I write. So, Paul... 
God speaking through the Apostle Paul says, Paul's own hand is going to write his name in all of his epistles. So when you read Romans 2 Philemon, the first word in every single one of his epistles, it's the only 13 books this is true of the entire Bible, start with his name that he signed with his own hand. I don't think for one second that that was a mistake by God Almighty to do that. Because when you get to the book of Hebrews, let's go there. What is the first word when you read the book of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. God. God does not say Paul. That's important. Why is that important? Because when you read the whole entire book and the doctrine that's being taught in Hebrews, you're questioning whether or not you have eternal security. Because if you don't endure the end, you might not be saved. So, you need to understand that. That Paul wrote these 13 epistles. He only wrote 13. He didn't write the book of Hebrews. And then the last point within this is that you need to consider what Paul says. Every single time, whenever you come to a topic, whatever it is, 2 Timothy 2.17, Paul writes to Timothy, Consider what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding into all things. He'll help you understand all of this. Uh, so, point number four would be the most important words in your Bible are your one letter, your two letter, and your three letter words. It's a great lesson that I picked up from Obed. One letter, the eyes. You need to pay attention to the eye. Who's the eye there? Is it Paul? Is it who? Right? Uh, the two letter words, the me, the we, the us, the ye, the of, the in, the two, the buys. So important. Slow down when you see those words and pay attention to it. The three letter words, the now, the but, the not. You got to pay attention to those words. Um, point number five, in other words, you need to pay attention to is the wherefore. When you see wherefore, that means you need to read everything beforehand. What, what has all just been spoken? Wherefore? Henceforth? From now on? Now we're looking at the things ahead of us. Nevertheless. Uh, point number six, and this was a, a great lesson that I learned, is uh, whenever you get stuck... Just pick up your head and look around in the Scriptures. So what do I mean by that? Um, if you come to a Scripture verse, and I, maybe, maybe it might just be me, but there's been times when I'm studying my Bible and I get to a verse and I'm just completely baffled. I'm like, why is this verse right here? And what I've learned is sometimes when you come to a verse, you might need to read a few verses ahead before you get to that verse. Maybe read a few after. Sometimes you might need to go full chapters or even to the very beginning of the book. And it will help you understand what is going on with that verse. So uh, an example would be, uh, let's just go to, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, and we'll look at verse 5. Second, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So I used to like look at this verse, and I'd kind of get confused. I'm like, okay, I, I should, my faith should rest in the power of God. Well, what's the power of God? Well... If you just go up a few verses in the previous chapter, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, 
It says, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, what are the next few words? The power of God. So I know that the power of God is Christ. So it unlocked that scripture for me to see, Oh, my faith should rest in Christ. It shouldn't be resting in men. So that, that is a great thing for the practice whenever you get stuck. You might need to read a few verses up, or you might need to go back to the previous chapter or to the beginning of the book. Uh, so that's a great lesson. And then last but not least, point number seven would be this. Cultivate your relationship with the Lord. So we're in 1 Corinthians. Notice in verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom ye are called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we've been called into fellowship with God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So every time you open up your Bible and you read and you hear the Word of God, it's as if God Almighty is sitting down at the table with you, across from the table, speaking to you. And the more you know the Word of God, the more, the more you read your Bible and you understand it, the more you're going to know Him. And relationships, uh, fellowship, communication goes two ways. We pray to God, that's us speaking to God, and His Word, the Bible, whenever it's read and we read it and it's spoken, that's God speaking to you. So it has to be, any type of relationship, you know it's a two-way road. And that's how it works today. So uh, the last thing that I would just say, if you're just getting started and you want to really take the Bible seriously and you want to understand the Word of God for yourself and, and so that you can now share this with others, here's the order of the books that I would encourage you to read. All right, Because... I was told, just jump in the John and read all the Gospels. And so I read John, I read Acts, and I was reading all these signs and miracles. So guess what I tried to do naturally? I tried to do all these signs and miracles. I hadn't gotten to, uh, to Paul's epistles yet. So what I'd recommend you do is you read the books of Romans through Philemon. If you read three chapters a day, you can read it in a month. So read the, the, the books of Romans through Philemon. Understand the doctrine of grace. Then I would encourage you to read the rest of the New Testament. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, understanding that where you're at, this was before this body of truth was revealed. But you can still learn and appreciate and have a full understanding of what's going on here. You get to see Christ in the flesh. You'll see His ministry and what He was doing with the nation of Israel. Then read Hebrews through Revelation so you can understand what God's doing over here. And then I recommend reading the rest of the Old Testament so you can have a full picture, big frame of what's going on. We already laid it out, but I encourage you to do it. The more you understand the Word of God, the more you're going to understand the mind of Christ and who, who He is, and, and that you're going to have that deep, intimate relationship with the Lord. So um, that was a lot of information. I hope that this was a blessing and encouraging uh, to you all. If you have any questions, feel free to message, uh, personal message me, and I'm happy to, to have any conversations. Thank you so much. We're going to close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your, your word and the truth therein. We thank you that, Lord, we can study and search your scriptures and understand your will for us, which is to have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. We thank you for delivering up your Son, Jesus Christ. 
for our sins, paying for it with His blood, redeeming us from the curse of the law, and being raised from the dead for our justification, and that we have liberty in Christ, that amazing liberty. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. It's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.